I want to ask you a question this morning. If I were to take you back here to the nursery and you were to see all those newborn babies back there, or at least those that are still in the infant stage, you and I would ooh and all about how cute those babies are, and we would maybe want to hold them, and you know, we'd smile down at them and think, you know, what a beautiful baby and how cute they are, and just what adorable, how adorable children are at that age. But let's say that as we go back there this morning and we saw all these beautiful infants back there, maybe uh, Dana Butler, Susan uh, Love, all those ladies that, you know, work back there, Susan Butler, all all those Susans. Um, And uh, they were holding these little babies. But then we noticed that In one rocking chair, there was a young woman, maybe around 30 years of age, and she's in the lap of one of our nursery volunteers, and she's got a pacifier in her mouth, and the volunteer is rocking her. We probably wouldn't think that was too cute, would we? I want you to keep that image in your head for just a moment. Because as uncute as that may seem or sound to the eye, when God looks down on some of his children, sadly, he sees Christians who have been believers for 20, 25, 30 years, who are still infants spiritually in his sight. And John writes the letter of 1 John as an encouragement to Christians. He's given the principles in the introduction of his letter. He's trying to encourage believers to understand that their goal should be to grow towards Christ's likeness. And he's given principles in the, in the first two chapters between light and darkness and walking in the light versus walking in darkness and the difference between love and hate. And he's saying that this is how you are to live. And now John comes into in these verses in chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, kind of a parenthesis here, kind of a uh, just a pause. John is trying to, I think John is thinking in his head, look, I've, I've, I've said some heavy things here in these uh, first uh, words, in the opening words of this letter, and, and I've kind of tr- said to you what you need to aspire to, but... It's as if he stops and he wants to say, however, I want you to know something. I want to encourage you for the growth that I've already seen in your life. And I want to encourage you to keep moving forward as you progress towards 
Christ's likeness. And so he begins in verse 12 talking to little children. And he mentions three stages of this Christian life. Now these these designations, little children, young men, and fathers, that's not, he's not speaking about age, physical age. He's speaking about the, the different uh, places in the spiritual life, different aspects of the spiritual life. We began as infants. We mature into young men and women. Uh, then we mature into adulthood, he might say. And this is so important. I want you to hold your Bible We're here in 1 John. I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul says to the Believers in Corinth. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Look at this. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Now, Turn over to Hebrews chapter 5. And look in verses, verse 11. He says, about this we have much to say. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Friend, I want to do for you this morning what I believe John is trying to do to his readers here in 1 John Chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, I want to encourage you this morning in the growth that has taken place in your life and to to encourage you this morning that God is uh, looking down on His people and He is seeing the growth that is already taking place in your life, but He also wants to prompt us. He wants to encourage us not to be satisfied with the growth that has taken place but to move forward even more until we reach that stage of Christ-likeness, of spiritual maturity. Here's what I want you to take away from the message. Spiritual growth towards Christ-likeness is to be the goal of every professing Christian. Spiritual growth towards Christ-likeness is to be the goal of every professing Christian. Now, I don't have time to go into the three different stages of spiritual growth here this morning, but we're going to concentrate on that first stage when John addresses the little children, the the new believers, 
those that are young in the faith spiritually. And I'm only actually going to be able to concentrate on half of that because we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper. And it's fitting that the first half of this stage of growth that John writes about has everything to do with why we celebrate this supper. Because if you look there in verse 12 of 1 John, look what it says. John says, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Now this first stage of spiritual growth includes all Christians. You can call this the infant stage, but we all start at this stage in the spiritual life. Now, all of us have experienced this stage, but sadly, not all of us have matured, have moved on, have progressed to the second stage that John refers to when he talks about the young men, and then the third stage when he talks and he addresses the fathers, those that are spiritually mature. But let's look at what he says to all believers as we enter into the Christian life and uh, he's speaking about those who are at that infant stage where new believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He addresses these believers as little children And these little children have assurance of their salvation for two reasons. And I'm only going to be able to talk about the first of these this morning. And that is that we have assurance that we are in God's family, that we are children of God, that we have been born again, that we are new believers because of the fact that our sins have been forgiven. The first thing that all Christians should know is that our sins are forgiven. Amen? The first thing you ask someone who's come to know Christ is they will tell you, I ask God forgive me of my sins and I invite Jesus into my heart and now I know that I know Jesus and God has forgiven me of my sins. You don't have to teach someone that. You don't have to let sit them down in a Bible study class or a Sunday school class or send them to seminary to understand what it means to be a believer. They They know that in order to be a believer, you've invited Christ into your heart. Jesus died on the cross to take away my sins. Therefore, I know my sins are forgiven. And John wants us to see that being born into the family of God brings the privilege of having our sins forgiven. I am writing to you, little children, he says, Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And little children encompasses all Christians, all believers experience forgiveness. Now that's the first and most basic concept of Christian experience, of the Christian experience. There has to be the assurance of the forgiveness of sins before we're able to move on to progress towards spiritual maturity. 
Forgiveness is not only the beginning of the Christian life, it is the foundation of Christ-likeness. At this stage of spiritual growth, we don't know much theology or church doctrine, but we do know my sins have been forgiven by God. We're no longer guilty of sin. We're no longer to be judged for our sins. We're no longer to be condemned for our sin. We're no longer to be punished for our sin. Jesus took our sins upon Him when He died on the cross. So many people, when you ask them if they know that their sins are forgiven, say, I hope so. I pray that they are. But I'm not real sure, but I'm hoping that my sins are all forgiven. John says, no. That's not what the believer would say. The believer knows that his sins are forgiven. That's what the non-Christian would say. I hope so. The Christian is one whose sins are already forgiven and he knows it and he believes it and he trusts in it. But note why. Don't forget that phrase, for his name's sake. Friend, God forgives our sins for Christ's sake. When you trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, when you ask God to forgive you of your sins, God does so on the basis of the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It has nothing to do with what, where we come from. It has nothing to do with how good we think we've been or how righteous we think we are. In fact, the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. It has everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven at the command of His Father. He left the glories of heaven. He came to this earth. He took on human flesh. He lived a perfect life. He he went to the cross. He died for our sins. And He did everything he was supposed to do. And because of his perfection, because of his obedience, because of his sacrifice that he made on our behalf, the Father looks at us and he says, I forgive you for my son's sake. That's what it means to be forgiven for his name sake it's all because of what Jesus Christ has done and I want to tell you something this morning I want you to think about all the stuff that's going on in your life all the terrible things I want you to think about that guilt that shame those past sins And I want you to hear me loud and clear this morning. If you're born again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, your sins, all of them have been forgiven. All of them. Not 
half of them, not two-thirds of them, not 99% of them, all of them have been forgiven because of Jesus Christ. John says, you all began at this stage in your spiritual life as infants, as newborn babes. And the one thing that you know as a new believer is my sins have been forgiven. Friend, my sins are not forgiven for my sake. They are not forgiven for anything I have done or deserved, but because of what Jesus did and earned for me. God's forgiveness of our sins must be forever detached from our merit. I forgive you are three of the most powerful words in any language, but it matters greatly in whose name I am forgiven. Says to these readers, your sins are forgiven for his namesake. So as we come to this supper this morning, I want you to think about the fact that because of these, what these elements represent, because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, if you've put your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, your sins, all of them, have been forgiven for his name's sake. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment.